Welcome to the First Baptist Church Podcast. We're excited to share this weekend's conversation with you from Pastor Jerry Hendricks. If you would like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to fbcsweetwater.org. One of my favorite movies of all times was Apollo 13. I don't know if you saw that movie, but it's a Hollywood version of the story of actual events on Apollo 13. Apollo 13 was the third moon mission landing. And uh, on the first landing, the intent was basically just to get there and get on the moon, set foot on the moon. The second mission had a little bit more involved in it, and they had, by the third mission, Apollo 13, they had great uh, plans and expectations for actually doing a lot of uh, scientific work Uh, The fear of being able to land and those kinds of things had already subsided a bit. And uh, they set off on this mission uh, called Apollo 13. Uh, Probably some of the move, my affection for the movie has to do with the fact that for 10 years we lived in the Houston area. For 7 years we lived only about 15 minutes from NASA. And uh, on several occasions had taken the tour uh, when family would visit or whatever uh, I think our, our children were, were pretty young to have enjoyed that. I know it was probably when uh, some family had visited. But uh, frequently, because Clear Lake is not that far from where Texas City was, we would, I would uh, have business to take care of in that area, and, just, and even just driving by it. it uh, there's a lot uh, of emotion there for, for that, that place, and just being near there because you sit on television so much, or at least you did uh, during my uh, formative years. Uh, Apollo 13 is an interesting story because the intent was to get to the moon and uh, do this research, continue the research. Uh, It was in 1970 uh, when uh, the trip occurred. And as they were uh, two days into their trip, uh, they went through a routine procedure where they would flip a switch and it would stir the oxygen tanks. Uh, because the atmosphere being different, that oxygen needed to be treated and, and stirred and activated uh, ever so often. When they, tri- when they flipped the switch to uh, agitate the oxygen in these tanks, it ignited in one of the tanks an electrical short, and it leaked oxygen. Uh, after a period of time, uh, while they're looking at their gauges, they look at, I believe there's four different gauges, and they see that one of those tanks has dropped dramatically. As they uh, reported this uh, back to Mission Control, and Mission Control is in Houston. Uh, The flights occur in Florida at at the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, Mission Control is in Houston at Johnson Space Center. And there's this room, and if you've taken that tour, you've you've seen that room. It's like a a lecture theater uh, where it's uh, elevated uh, at the top, and then goes down, and then a bank of computers, and then big screens across the front. And the minute that information is relayed, all of these highly disciplined men go into panic mode. And they're all over the place trying to figure out from their perspective in their particular role what they can do to resolve the problem. So momentarily, at least on the Hollywood's version of the story, there is chaos in mission control. Now, the flight director is a man named Gene Kranz. Uh, He was uh, a fellow that was probably about my age with white hair, uh, a butch haircut, and these kind of glasses. These are sort of 60-ish, 70-ish glasses. 
And he got control of the room. He said, everyone calm down. Once it got quiet again, he said, let's work the sequences and let's work the problem. There was a pause and then he said to one person in particular, what do we have on the spacecraft that's good? Another pause and the response was, I'll get back to you on that, Gene. I have a feeling that some months from now, maybe even a year from now, someone will say, what's good about 2020? And our response might be, I'll get back to you on that. It's been quite a year. There have been hurricanes, and there's more to come. There have been uh, wildfires, and I think we've seen some of the smoke from those wildfires uh, states away. There's been racial tension, and all of this in the middle of a world pandemic, where everyone is automatically a scientist. Every time something negative happens, we have that tendency of really wanting to have 2020 in our rearview mirror, sort of like Lubbock. That's an inside joke from coffee this morning, and it went over bad. There's, there's one. I got one thumbs up. Apparently, there's a song about that, and I didn't know the artist. But when we think about 2020, and we think about the theme that we're trying to embrace over the next four weeks, this theme of joy, it became clear to me a couple of weeks ago that I have my work cut out for me. But I'm hoping that you can track with me just enough to understand that we're not talking about our happiness, our, our, our happiness with the way that things are. We're not talking about circumstances or things that influence us that have some adverse effect on our emotion or our feelings. What we're talking about is understanding a joy that is deeper than those kinds of things. When we measure joy in our life, what we want to do over the next four weeks is to think about or, and to contemplate and to really start walking toward an idea where we measure our joy through what we know in Jesus. Now, it's a very simple faith, it's, it's, and, and a lot of faith is not real complicated. Let me just say that at the outset. But we, we make it complicated a lot of times with either our experience or our circumstances that surround us. So understanding joy for us, even in a challenging time, or maybe particularly in a challenging time, is understanding joy in light of knowing Jesus. Now, the author of this book is Paul. More than likely, Timothy is writing for him. He's communicating to Timothy, and Timothy is actually writing the letter. This is a church that Paul had started uh, some time ago, some time prior to his writing. And it was a church that he had a particular affection for. It didn't have quite the dysfunction that some of the other churches uh, experienced. But there were things. There was an undercurrent like there is going to be in any part of life, at any time in life. A certain you know, undercurrent or cloud, however it is that you want to frame that in your uh, uh, thought uh, about what this looks like. There was some strife for sure, but it was still, uh, with, even with all of that, one of his... 
uh, most fondest experiences. And so in writing this letter, we want to remember several things, but one at the outset is, is that Paul is in prison as he writes the letter. So if you can, imagine his perspective in trying to communicate this message of joy while in prison. Okay, so it's a matter of perspective, right? So that if we see one who's imprisoned, and yet they have this mindset of joy, we know that maybe there's a source to this joy that's not just a surface kind of thought about what happiness is or what brings us to that, that happy place in our life. That there's really something deeper at play that's going on here. Paul was not in jail behind bars. He was in house arrest. Now, house arrest would mean that in his case, he was living in a rented home and there were Roman guards that were there to guard him, making sure he didn't leave around the clock. So it's more than, as you think about this joy, it's more than uh, the circumstances that are surrounding him and the things that are going on and just his general attitude. We're talking about far more than that. But for Paul, when we understand and when we know this, that he's talking throughout this letter about the joy that a person has in knowing Jesus. And now Paul seemed to have this ability to zero in on something, and at least in his letters and writings for us to focus on it with with such intensity that things on the edges didn't seem to bother him much. I think that's a good place to be. I think we might experience that. I know that we, it's hard to filter out all those things that surround us. There are certainly times in our life that are more chaotic than others and other things in, in motion for us, but it's not a bad idea, particularly as we come to worship, but throughout our life of worship, to, to zero in on the joy in knowing Christ. Now, this is significant, I think, in part because Paul didn't know Jesus. Not the way that the disciples did. Not that the way that the other preachers during this era did. He didn't, know, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus. He didn't see Jesus up close and personal. But he began to know him after his encounter with God. And he would know him in the same way that we have the opportunity to know him. Through God's Spirit. And it was something that directed his life. So in Paul, we have a model, an example that we can strive toward, strive with, we can learn from. I think it's interesting that he found joy because Paul seemed to be one of those people who was always on the move. Prior to becoming a believer in Jesus, he, was, he went about persecuting the church. And when I say went about, that meant that he traveled. He would go to different places, and, and we see him uh, in diff- showing up in different places prior to his conversion. And so even now, after he became a believer, he still has that same pattern. He's traveling. He's always on the go. For a person like that, you know what I'm talking about, to be under house arrest where they can't leave, they're in isolation, it had to have been a struggle for him personally. But he moved all that aside so that he could focus on knowing Jesus. 
there's several things that he says to us in this beginning of this text. And, and don't read, uh, start on, don't only start reading in verse 21. There's, there's power in those first 20 verses. And some of the verses that I, I think stand out are, uh, are verses 4 through 6, where, G, where he says, Let God who began a good work in you continue it. Those are verses that may sound familiar to you. Philippians 1, 4 through 6. Then 9 through 11, he prays this beautiful prayer for these Philippian believers. And then he has these words in verse 21, where he says, If I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. Now, it's a dilemma for him. And it's a dilemma that we want to understand because if we stop for just a moment and consider where he was, what was going on, knowing that there was the real possibility that Paul was going to be tried and executed, he was in a place where he had time to think. He had time to write a letter. He had time to think. And so as he gets absorbed in his thoughts, I want to think about what his life might have been like in that isolation. And all I know is that when I'm given time in isolation, the, the wheels start to turn in my head about a variety of things. And I'm sure that you're no different. And so he comes to the conclusion, this dilemma that he's faced with. And so he's taken this sort of philosophy of life and he's turned it into this phrase. And he said, I can either live or I can die. Now that's always the possibility, right? We have, we're faced with that. That's not, new, that's not news to us. That's the reality of being here. That's the reality of drawing breath. But when you're alone and you possibly are facing execution and you really get into the deeper moments of your life, maybe you think about that in a different context. So Paul is examining his life here. And in, in this examination, he's, he declares this dilemma that he's in. Because he says, if I live, I know that I, will, I have the opportunity for, for, for more ministry to you. Now, he doesn't know that he's, if he's ever going to get out of prison. But he knows that in a variety of ways, he's had the opportunity to continue a ministry to the Philippian believers. But here's what else was going on. In the context of those who are coming in and out on a regular basis, putting him under guard, they were beginning to testify about, God's, about Paul's faith. So even though Paul could not move and go anywhere, the message was being carried elsewhere because of the life that he lived even while in isolation, while he was in prison. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was going forward because other people were having the opportunity to tell about this person of faith and how they were living out their faith. He knew that as long as he lived, that there would be something about his life that would, would move into the world and impact others. It may cause us to examine our own living. Our own life that God has given to us and the purposes that he has deeply embedded into who we are. And maybe that phrase that Paul uses can become one that we adopt for our own life as we think about the difference that we can make in a world 
particularly in troubled times. When we talk about joy always, and I do believe that's the message of Paul in Philippians. Philippians 4.4 4 is the one that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So even in the midst of, of this stuff that surrounds us, we have the opportunity to filter those things so that we might learn to discover that joy, that real joy, the joy that lasts in Jesus. And then he had just this, the, in that phrase, this bit of selfishness. I'll call it that. Maybe that's inappropriate. But he had this moment where he thinks about, for, about, thinks about himself. He says, for me to live helps you. It helps the gospel to go forward through me. But to die is my game. I thought about this this week in context of our own view and thoughts about eternity. I don't know that if in my life I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Quite honestly, I don't, and it's probably less and less all the time, even though it probably should be more and more. The timeline would tell me that. But I thought about it from Paul's perspective, and I begin to wonder, because you've got this apostle who met God in a miraculous way, yet and, and preaches Jesus better than anyone in his, in his time, understands the relationship and understands the joy in knowing Jesus and believes in and preaches. His main message is the resurrection of Jesus, and yet he's never spent time with Jesus. I wonder when he says... To die is gain. If he had in mind that he would finally have his moment with Jesus. That it would be that moment for him. Not just where he could, could stop the exhaustive responsibility of sharing the gospel with the hostile world. Not just resting from, from life. But rather... Seeing the Jesus that brought him joy. Paul goes on from this dilemma to say some very important things to the church. And I think as he shares these things, these are things that a church today even needs to be mindful of as we think about the times that, that we're living in. Paul shares his hope for the future. Now, he can do this really from a couple of perspectives, and I'll just, or, or several perspectives. Let me just share uh, one with you. One would be that the, he would want them to know that the hope in their future, in serving Christ for the sake of the gospel, and that's, that's the center of, of his world, that's the center of his message, the gospel. I think what he wants us to say, or wants to say to the Philippians, and what those words to them can say to us in this time, is that we want to express life, understanding current reality, but knowing that God has no limits. This last week, uh, getting ready for the podcast, I've, I've, we're trying to uh, adapt a little bit, and as we uh, learning to do our podcast, we do that on. We air it on Wednesday, but 
we're, we're developing a really good sequence, if you're participating with us, uh, of Bible study going out on Thursday, conversation on Sunday, podcast on Wednesday, and on Wednesday we kind of go back to the previous Sunday and look forward to the next Sunday. And so that's been the sequence for us uh, over the last few weeks. And so each week I have set up a different introduction. Uh, and sometimes, uh, Antique is my co-host, or I'm his co-host, I don't know which. We're hosts together. We're two hostesses there in the studio. And uh, occasionally I try to stump him. Now, now sometimes I'll prep, we'll talk about something ahead of time, and that, we've been doing more of that lately. But here was my idea this week. I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about 10 good things about 2020. And so I started in my office. That was my idea. And I go, this is a good one. In light of what I'm going to go Sunday, this is a good one. And I started trying to make a list. And I only got about three things down. And I'm going to admit, they were pretty superficial. So I scratched that idea in terms of an intro, but brought it up in the middle of our conversation, and Teak literally leans forward and puts his hands on his knees, and he was ready to go. And so it stumped me. I, he stumped me. His enthusiasm stumped me. I said, oh, you really got 10 things? You think we can do 10 things? And you may have listened to that already. And he just started rattling them off. Well, sometimes we're guilty of being too influenced by current reality and influenced so much that we forget of the hope that we have in the future that God has given us. I think that if we understand the joy in knowing Jesus and we begin to prepare our life for the telling of 2020 for generations to come, I believe that we might find ourselves in the middle of a good story that God has given us. And we've talked about that a good bit through uh, these times where, where, we, where we're changing every week and there's so much uncertainty. We've, we've shared those kinds of things. And, and honestly, those were the things that Teak was talking about that, that God had begun to highlight in his life and his experience that had brought about more good and more hope, not just for now, but for the future as well. It's a reminder to us that God is greater than the circumstances. Now, it's got to be more than this too will pass. I really think it has to be deeper than that. But as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, and we gain more confidence in the future that he has given to us, we embrace the gospel that he's given to us. And we receive it with joy, and we begin to share it with joy as well. Paul believed that the Philippian believers, even in the midst of persecution and some trial, would be those kind of believers that would take the gospel forward into the next generation. Paul understood, I believe, and, and was able to envision for us a greater view of God's activity. And so when we find ourselves kind of in that, under that cloud or in the mix of the despair, we want to find God. And so here's how he suggests that the Philippians do it. He said, one, you find it in unity. A part of the dissension that was happening was around false teaching. And so, again, to, just as a reminder, uh, Jewish culture still had trouble receiving the gospel 
that, that Jesus, I mean, that Paul and uh, the apostles had been teaching. They still went back to their old Jewish rules, and they would continue to kind of struggle with that uh, throughout their experience together. And so that was considered in part, that was in part of the false teaching that was occurring at that particular time. But Paul said this, he said, look, strive for unity. I think if you look at Paul's, all of his letters to churches, one of the constant threads that you see is unity. And so there, there ought to be able to have, have freedom of thought, freedom of conversation, but there ought to be unity, and the unity is around Jesus. The unity is around knowing Jesus and understanding the gospel. And that's where we can gather. That's the, that's the common place. And everything else can kind of move aside. He also encouraged them to continue to strive together. So you have this, this sense where the church, as ours should and others, comes together in a sense of community so that we're not only stronger uh, as a group, but we're stronger as individuals. We're only as strong as the weakest member. So it's important for all of us to grow and develop our faith. And as we grow and develop our faith in unity, then the church, this church, other churches become stronger as well. And he saw that as being an important part of their future as they were carrying out this message of the gospel. And then he encouraged them with these words, stand strong, be firm, stand strong, no, no steps back, only steps forward. The Philippian church will demonstrate for us an understanding of this joy of knowing Jesus. The question for us is, will we demonstrate in our experience, in our encounters, the joy of knowing Jesus? Not overcoming circumstances, knowing Jesus. Let's rejoice.